0: hello and welcome to meet my potential podcast where we talk to leaders from around the world to inspire and to ignite your potential this is your host Deepa Natarajan, that indian girl from toulouse in france such a warm warm welcome to all of you after such a long break we switched off for almost three months i got my head pulled into rolling out the new rethink leadership methodology And on the hindsight, I know I should have left a note here for you saying I'm just going to be gone, but just didn't know how long. It was just like a whirlwind that pulled me into it. And it was such a fabulous experience running the coaching workshops with this new methodology. So my sincere apologies. And we'll be back here with an episode every two weeks going forth. I hope you had a good summer break. And I hope that you had the time to pause, slow down, reflect, and maybe even reorient or redesign your work life. Okay, let me introduce you to our very special guest today, Detlef Hold from Roche. He's based in Basel, Switzerland. He's so many things. He's the head of digital learning experience at Roche. He's an organizational psychologist, an executive coach, and a scrum master at Roche. He's worked in South America, Switzerland, and US. He's someone I consider very hands-on. My conversation with him gave some, that you might say simple insights, but deep about digital learning. When he was talking, I couldn't help nodding my head. He knows where we're heading in the digital learning space in the future. Today, as he says, digital learning, data analytics, AI, knowledge management, they all drive transformation and customer orientation and digitalization and the future of our workplace. And this is exactly where he works. So let's welcome him. So hello and welcome to the show, Delef. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm very well. Thank you, Deepa. Thanks for having me.
0: You are welcome. So you are a keen, someone who's very keen in pursuing digital learning. Tell us first, like, what is digital learning?
1: What is digital learning? Uh, digital learning, depending on who you ask, um, might cover a number of things. The are definitions that talk about digital learning as technology-enabled learning, uh, basically leveraging digital tools, um, technology platforms to enable individualized learning or learning in, in groups, for example, as well, through platforms. That's one definition. I would go beyond that and actually say that digital learning is about creating the best conditions and environment for digital workers, people who work in a digital environment, which is mostly virtual today. It is many times through remote teams who are dispersed uh, uh, across the world. And so it is finding ways to design and enable what workers today need in the digital work environment.
0: So, you know, uh, I've seen e-learning and so e-learning mm. platforms where you know um let's say you want to learn about psychological safety uh you get into a, you get into a platform and you learn like you go through five or six videos you read a document you try to understand what does psychological safety mean uh, but w- what's the difference and how do you distinguish e-learning and digital learning and like what's the technology like what's the emphasis here
1: yeah i think one of the things that's happening is that learning is has always been driven by the business. And um, there's an even stronger connection between the approach and the thinking and the methodology used for both. So here's what I mean. Um, many businesses, including the one I'm uh, we're in, have a much stronger customer focus. And they're learning actually from companies who have had a strong customer focus in the past. And that means that you have to be much closer to how people think and what they do to understand really what their reality is when they work, um, when they interact with other people, or when they learn, and and learning today is not anymore just making content available in masses because we have tons of libraries and you know created content that's out there. Um, the 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 real thing the the important thing about digital learning in that case is actually that you're able to make it personal, relevant, and really provide targeted guidance. So for me, one of the key differences here is that. In for digital workers, they have to be able to search, assess, um, find out what's relevant, and then be able to easily access content they can immediately apply for their work. And that's one of the key differences. So it's not just online, going to a course where you, you go through psychological safety and then you have acquired some knowledge. It's actually the ability to use that content and. Um, the quality of the content as well is important. So, how you design it, but then apply it in, through immediate peer interactions, through um, digital tools that enable reflection in the workplace, um, joining a community where you can talk with other people about this, maybe being part of an, a life event which is virtually facilitated. So, it's all kinds of different elements of architectures that you're pulling together that enables what every, everyone who, who wants to learn effectively needs. That is a structure that guides you. Seamlessly in the process of not only reading about psychological safety and understanding it, but being able to digest it, talk about it, apply it, think through it, reflect, and then maybe go back to the content. So that, for me, is one of the fundamental differences.
0: I am so glad. I am like smiling. I don't know if people can see me through this podcast. Uh, I am like beaming here and you just nailed it. This is so important. Today, we want to belong to a tribe. Like we want to have conversations and we grow through conversations. Conversations are like seeds that you plant in someone's head. So, you know, um, when you talk about digital learning, which includes like quality content that I see, that I learned from, and I'm also able to reflect on that content with my peers. And as I reflect, you know, we create a community community because we're you know it's like like-minded people come across like you, let's say you go for lunch you go for dinner and you want to build some common links with somebody with the other person you want to say okay do you like football do you like baseball what do you like like and so that kind of builds a sense of belonging sense of tribe and here we're building a sense of tribe a sense of community through a certain passion for a particular subject and that's really, cool. that's really nice. And at the same time, when you do live events, you're bringing life into that subject with the subject matter expert.
1: That's right. And, and one of the things that we've been learning as we were thinking through the virtual environment we're in and using digital tools, it is really that you cannot translate the face-to-face experience one-to-one into virtual. Um, you have to really rethink how you approach it. You have to rethink how you design the experience—that's why I, I love talking about learning experience because it's a—it's a holistic thing. Like you want to feel uh, as if you're part of it. You want to feel as if you're in the room with other people. You want to be able to connect, hopefully at the in at the human level, um, which requires a level of trust. And and the the way to do that face to face we know very well because we're all used to it. We experienced it before. Virtual is different. So you you need to find ways to leverage technology on the one hand. As simple as sometimes having a tool and knowing how to best most effectively use a a poll, you can use it in a way that it's just technology, or you can use it in a way that it engages people, stimulates their thinking, and really invites them also to voice their opinions and participate. So it's the small things that make a difference, but it does require the rethinking of how you approach things when you you design and when you provide those kind of experiences for groups and for individuals.
0: Absolutely. I can't agree anymore with you on that. I just finished uh, two groups of my Rethink Leadership program, which is a 10-week online program, which has like resources, videos for people to go through, and then we have live live calls, and then we have interaction and community uh discussions on the platform. And this is all about people coming face, you know, face to face virtually from South Africa, from um, Germany, from France, from different countries. And people are living in different corners of the world. And what I experienced at the end of the 10 weeks is people have created their own WhatsApp group without me. And uh, they invited me. I said, no, 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 I can't be part of all these groups. And people want to continue discussion because that has created a very strong bond and a very strong link, even though people have not met. And what I noticed about that is when we meet regularly, consistently, over a certain period of time, on a given particular topic, and there is this psychological safety for people, it creates very strong bonds. How do you do that in your organization?
1: So, Deepa, I think the ingredients haven't fundamentally changed. The ingredients are similar, and, and, and that's what we apply also in our environment in my organization. One is you, you have to create a climate where people want to open up have a level of self-disclosure, talk about themselves, just connect informally, but then also be willing actually to share their thinking, their voice, and what they know with others. And that's a way of facilitating, actually, um, in a virtual environment that's slightly different. But the, the, the principles of, of doing that, which is focusing on people first, providing them an opportunity to voice, to say something virtually, and then uh, providing a little bit of uh, aspects about themselves are ways actually really to make that happen. So the climate is very important. And Mm -hmm. then related to that is the facilitation. Mm -hmm. The other is the pace, as you said. Uh, I think you're right. The pace makes a huge difference. We need a level of pace, which means a frequency of meeting, talking, thinking about a topic like psychological safety or like working in a community or working agile that continuously helps us to ingrain the ideas, the skills and the knowledge into what we do and how we do it. And then we realize, oh, maybe I could do better. Or maybe um, the sprint that we just had uh, didn't work out as expected. So what can we do better next time? And that kind of continuous loop of reflection, feedback, and also continuous improvement of the process you're using, how you're approaching it overall. Um, That's really how we try to ingrain it.
0: Fabulous. And I really like the word sprint because like, you know, sprint is like, uh, you make little steps and it's consistent over time. And you keep coming back and that's how we see progress and we move forward together. And there is this, um, you plant ideas, you plant seeds and you have conversations around it. So there's a sense of focus also that gets built around. Can you give an example of one such learning that you put in place
1: So yeah no I can I can give you one example that we're right now focusing on. And that is uh, quite a challenging one, I would say. we, we've, we apply one of the principles that, that has become very prominent and that's co-creation. And um, again, I think there's a continuum of, of building together with subject matter experts, people from the business really to, to, to make a, a learning solution most meaningful. The example I want to give is is related to a specific type of meeting we do with many external stakeholders around the world we conduct projects where there might be a hundred countries participating at the same time and so you bring the most important people from these countries together in one meeting and you only have two and a half hours and in those two and a half hours you really have to make a huge difference in building in a community providing clarity on how to execute afterwards and also um providing the knowledge all these people need to do their work uh, once you leave the meeting. So there's many ways to do that, but actually um, we've been engaging three leaders. And so with the leaders, we worked in iterative loops over a number of months now to really build a prototype of uh, rethinking of the meeting. That means uh, change your mindset and instead of just having PowerPoint slides or maybe PowerPoint slides and, and a poll and, and a bit of engagement with a Q&A at the end, just rethink that. And so we we are basically applying the flipped classroom principle, and uh, the shift that we're trying to do is actually ask them to take out most of the content that's not relevant, focus on the the, the content you really want to discuss, go deeper, and then really have uh, meaningful conversations in an engaged way, and focus on your design on that aspect, and for all the other content, actually, you know, you you really think about the life cycle of the meeting, and build little. Content pieces, um, video based, before the meeting. So it's more kind of engaging people ahead of time, making uh, sure that the quality of the content is really good. So it's well structured, it's relevant, it has good examples. And then the meeting itself can focus on dialogue, connection, uh, relevance for people. And also, um, you know, then you can become creative and, and thinking about many different methods of engagement. So that's one very tangible example we're in the midst of this of engaging about 500 people and so we're testing the idea with some of the early adopter teams
0: fabulous you know i can think of um good old days when 100 people would get around in a hotel conference room and then chit chat uh, before the session and have this you know um open session where somebody talks about something and then we Hmm. go out into breakout rooms, have a discussion, we talk during lunch breaks. So how do you get that, you know, that little um, experience of I'm having a conversation with person B who, and I just bumped into them uh, at the coffee table, but how do I do that virtually?
1: So some of the things that we've been trying internally or we're working on, to rebuild the water cooler experience uh, just meeting someone for a coffee uh, i can talk about the other is of course there's some evolution and platforms available which are not actually even learning um, it's more conference platforms because what i've seen that the one of the evolutions in technology is digital platforms for conferences are becoming much more mature so let me give me a few examples practically if you want to do that yourself and you're using zoom for example we very carefully think about the use of breakout rooms. And we we always integrate moments of breakout rooms with small groups, not, not bigger than five people, sometimes only two people, sometimes three, certainly not more than six, where there's a level of trust that we built before in the plenary. Then people spend some time in breakouts. And we have this back and forth of breathing, coming together, going into breakouts, back and forth. And, and then we prompt that with some kind of very informal but very purposeful engagement in the breakouts. That's one way to do it. The other is if you have a lot of people in in a virtual session together, uh, we've been experimenting with chats and chat rooms. So we're using chat rooms at the same time and build those ahead of time, like a WhatsApp group. And we realized that people start engaging more and more and more, very informally, even between them. So Mm -hmm. we're using small small rooms for chats, um, large group rooms for chats, and then the chat that you already have built into the the virtual session in parallel so people have choices and if you, if you introduce that at the beginning it's a very powerful and actually very seamless way for people to engage what
0: resistance do you see for people to get into chat rooms with people that they don't know and have a deep heart to heart conversation and switch on their videos
1: sometimes you might have participants who are a little bit hesitant to turn on their camera and participate in small group discussions and breakouts. What we experienced is that it's a lot about shaping the culture and setting norms. Um, people get used to over time that you really say, keeping the camera on is helpful because can you can look at each other's eyes. You can have more information available to work with, actually. And it's a way of bonding and connecting with other people. So it's about setting the norm on the one hand and then people getting used to it. That's one aspect. And I think it's an important one.
0: I think so, too. You know, like I'm watching you and I know people who are listening to this episode, you know, can't see the video, but I'm seeing you here on Zoom and I see this plant behind you. And, you know, there's a face, there's an image and I'm and, you know, in this virtual world, you're in your living room, you're in your office space and I can see what your office space looks like. So, you know, I'm kind of like entering your personal space and it's that kind of somehow builds a connection like, you know, beyond just listening to the voice. It's also it's another type of connections like I see you, I see your setting, I see where you belong. And that also bridges or builds proximity in a way.
1: It can. And Deepa, the other thing is uh, that I wanted to mention is give people choices. Yeah, Humans want to have choices. So So we would say that actually if someone needs to turn the camera off to get a coffee or something, that's fine. And then people usually wouldn't do that because they have choices. So just giving them the choice makes a huge difference. And then the trust and the breakout, basically, can come through a bit of self-organization. If you invite people to to say, can someone of you facilitate the conversation, or you give them a question they can think about, just an open question, that already can trigger a level of comfort, which is different than having no structure at all and going into uh, a room you're not familiar with, with people you don't know. So it's small things I really that you can prompt and and build into the design uh, if you if you carefully think through it.
0: Thank you. So we're coming as as you know to the end of the episode. What advice would you give to an organization that is setting up their own digital platform? I wow. know this is huge like yeah. but then like at the top of your mind like you got into this project of setting up this digital platform yes. abroad
1: sure, sure, and sure. so
0: um you know like the top three things that you would say hey or like the top five things or even just one thing you would say like this is what you don't want to be worried about this is exactly what you want to address because this will really help you what would you say is the that one or the three things that would help an organization set up digital pl- learning platform that brings people closer, because we can now, we can now bring people from different countries, different locations closer to learning with each other than just having, let's say, a European meet or Asia-Pacific meet?
1: There's a number of different digital learning platforms in the market right now. Some help to individualize and personalize learning. Some enable more the learning, the social learning reading cohorts and communities. And some have a mix of both, ideally. And then you can build in learning journeys for people to guide them through learning. The three things I think are important um, out of many is the platform is a means to an end. Mm. And from the technology point of view, it is the implementation that's the most challenging part. That means convincing new stakeholders in IT um, in quality, in legal and so on, and then building coalitions with the business to really think about the adoption and sustainment of a platform very early on in the process. So that's one aspect, the tech aspect. The second one is is not about the platform. Your main focus should be on mindset and behaviors of people to help them build new habits and unlearn what they've done before. Because you ask them to use a platform that ideally helps their learning, But actually, it's about their mindset, their attitude, their thinking, and their behaviors that need to shift. And the third aspect is when you design and really want to leverage a digital platform, um, a learning platform for that purpose, focus on technology on the one hand and on building the social systems on the other hand. So the social structures, engaging people through cohorts, communities, bringing them together, are as important as the technology platform.
0: Right. Thank you. And when you talk about mindset and behavioral, the second aspect, you spoke, the number one was LMS. The second one was mindset and behaviors. The third one was like creating social structures, cohorts, and communities. Um, and as we close this episode, what's the one my, one tip that you can give someone who's trying to shift, change their habit, change their mindset, to actually reach their next level of leadership, you know, we know that behavioral change is hard. It's never easy. Like, let's say you decide to do yoga every morning at six a.m., and then you know, you, you can say, "I need to be more disciplined. I need to be more rigorous." Oh, and uh, am I motivated? You can question yourself. But we know that changing behavior, changing habits, is hard. What's one tip that you would give someone who's trying to change, who has an intention to change their behavior?
1: So the one tip has two components, and uh, the first one is. Articulate your intention. We know from research that articulating an intention in your mind brings you closer to realization. So, if you say, I want to start running every week and I want to do this on a regular basis, you maybe start with twice a week. Um, The goal should not be too high. It should be challenging. It should be based on your own experience and your starting point. So, that's one. Really articulate an intent that is related to you, that works for you, and that will motivate you because it's not too challenging and it's not too easy. Second point is um, we observe ourselves all the time. So looking in the mirror, as you do in coaching, as you do when you do, when you think about the, your level of self-awareness, um, is a starting point for change. And so, because we observe ourselves, if we start acting and trying things out, experimenting with, we observe ourselves doing it, and that bring, brings us closer to a change, a change of habit, a change of intent, a change of something that we want to try out, because by doing We're already closer to realization, and we start thinking, well, actually, if I'm able to try this out, maybe I can also shift towards this new behavior. And that is a second mechanism, I think, that would be part of my tip.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. I can't agree even more on this as I come out of the summer break and summer was really a great time for me to stop working, observe myself and reflect on what are my goals, uh, what is really important to me in my life and uh, how do I want to continue having the space of self-reflection because summer is like time when you switch off and you get time to recuperate, reflect. And really the question when you when you speak about observe yourself when you're moving towards something is like when we get into September and we start rolling with work, uh, we can get into the cycle of busy, busy working all the time that it stops us from stepping back reflecting and observing, hey, how am I doing on that goal? Like, what's stopping me? What's keeping me away? What's getting me there? What's making it easier? What's making it harder? And that self-reflection and observation is so important. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for being here and for sharing with us. And as we say goodbye, would you like to leave one last message for the audience?
1: So you were referring to to maybe building a new habit after the summer break. And maybe I want to leave you with, with one thought. Uh, which is one of my my credos in life um i do believe life is a little bit like forest dump that's why i love the movie <laughs> it is you know you, you you're you exploring things and all of a sudden you happen to be in a space where there is an opportunity and so my invitation is if that opportunity occurs to you um just take it because this is where the best things happen in life
0: you don't know what chocolate boxes you're going to open <laughs>
1: You never know what you're going to get. Exactly. All right. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for being here.
1: Lovely. Thank you, Deepa. Have a good day.
0: I hope you like this episode. One thing I know from this conversation is that creating digital learning experience is not about creating a repository of valuable content. You need to bring that to life. And it's got to be done with expertise, with a community of people and engage people in a process that brings everybody together, that makes people have conversations, conversations that bring about ideas, conversations that take ideas from intention to action. And having an expert and a community in this kind of growth process is a growth, not only for people who participate, but also for the expert. So this is the future, and this is where we're heading. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. I'll be back here again in two weeks time. And until then, stay cool.